This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. It's wonderful to have Wayne Cunnington with us today. Wayne, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Peter. Not all. Uh, the privilege of bumping into you at our event uh, back in December, and uh, it's always good to actually meet people uh, you see you see online uh, and see their stories. But um, obviously, people can follow you. There is your Twitter handle, Win TLC. Uh, people can get your story, vaccine injury, mom's your mom's story, and the whole issue of medazlin. Uh, your fight to get information and on and on. So I would encourage everyone to go to that. And for our US audiences um, who may not have come across you, I think this is essential viewing for them, putting a, a, a the individual story uh, behind the data. Um, and when I know you've been on, I've, I've seen uh, different uh, interviews you've done uh, in the UK. Um, and Today, I want to go over some of those and I think pull pull it together. Um, if we could first start with, I guess, you're, you're um, a, I guess, high profile. I mean, the last four years have been crazy. And to put people in the spotlight, myself, yourself, many of us <laughs> never expected or wanted. But maybe you can start with um, why you're in the spotlight um what you're speaking about then we'll go back and touch on your story and then talk about your mom yeah sure yeah i mean i was never one really for wanting that spotlight um i was probably big on social media purely showing a coffee picture somewhere i've been um somewhere scenic you know i used to take a lot of pictures i still do uh, if i can um and turn into posters and put them on the walls, and it's just a very relaxing environment to be in. Um, to go from Twitter follower of just a few hundred people um, for a number of years and just really not using the platform um, to how it is now, just within months of the injury. I mean, it was just phenomenal. 7,000 people almost just over the matter of days, I uh, seemed to connect with. And I didn't realize, I mean, this is coming from nothing, just putting yourself out there, saying in a very short video for about a minute long of my story, basically, when I'd just been released from hospital. And it was just, it connects with people. You know, they can either see similarities or they can either hear something that they didn't know before, you know, um and there's an honesty to that because hmm. there's no makeup there's no light there's no glamour to it it's just raw conversation um yeah it, it it's say it's really seemed to touch a nerve with people i found i think the first time i heard about you saw you speak was i think one of the truth be told uh rallies i think that was you begin to lose track uh but we'll we'll touch on that but maybe let's jump back uh to the beginning um you uh took a vaccine 
and that had side effects. Do you want to just tell that story? Because it's also interesting for US because this is not the mRNA. I think it was the AstraZeneca you took, which mm. obviously isn't available in the US, was available here, then mm. got banned. That tells a whole other story. But yeah, tell us your story at the beginning, what happened, you took this, and then the result. Yeah, it's very interesting, Alec, because the few people it was actually in trial with in America, like Brian Dressen, I don't know if you know Brie, um, American, um, who runs up one of the vaccine injury groups over there. And they get invited to Congress and other various meetings to talk about their injuries. So that's quite an amazing figure to be a part of that. Um, there's so many more within the group have suffered other injuries uh, from other vaccines. Um, AstraZeneca, of which we seem to share that similarity, you know, in our symptoms, our injuries. I mean, going back to 22nd of February 2021, I made this most stupidest mistake I could have ever have done. Um, we're all guilty of making mistakes, um, but through the fear campaign that was being pushed 24-7, the, the madness I was working through in stores. I used to work for a retail, food retail firm, and that whole hysteria was ramped right up. I mean, I could see the nonsense not making mistake, not making sense. Um, and then coupled with the, the death of my mum just months before, um, I had this shot of poison, literally. Um, and within hours, I was seeing such horrible side effects, um, right from the crushing headache to not being able to think and process thoughts and just sleeping pretty much for the next few days, dosed up on uh, painkillers, which really didn't do much good at all, um, didn't really touch it. and But it seemed to be the only thing I had in my arsenal because doctors weren't listening to me. I was phoning them up every couple of days saying, look, I really don't feel well. And they just don't want to know. Their guideline is then it was to ignore anyone complaining of side, side effects. The now guideline that they're given um, is that if you suffer headaches for longer than three or four days, go straight to A&E because of the risk of blood clots and everything else. Whereas I carried on battling against them, um, and lo losing the understanding of the severity of, of the injury that was occurring, I ended up with brain tissue damage because it damaged the lining uh, around your brain, which is the demolination, they call it. Um, and through that, you're then left open to um, immune system disease. I ended up with um, a prognosis of seeing MS in my future. Um, but the problem is, in the meantime, if every symptom you align with, say, like Guillain-Barre syndrome, POTS, those are the more familiar ones. Um, but they can't discount anything. You've got all the symptoms for everything. Um, and what they chose to do was just after 11 days of poking and prodding me and scanning me and forcing a needle into my back, um, 
to a lumbar puncture. Um, and on the third attempt, they got in over three quarters of an hour. Um, achieved nothing. It didn't give them any new results. And so after 11 days, they decided, well, we've had enough of you. Um, here's a wheelchair. We're moving to the door and fine. And that was it. So you went, you went in. What, what were you, what were you thinking? Because now, in hindsight, we can, uh, we can all look back and see. Actually, that all makes sense. Uh, when you're in the midst of it, not everyone is political. Not everyone is devouring social media information, um, and a lot of people went along with what they were told because it made sense. Something bad was happening, therefore you take this and protect yourself. Mm. And what was, what was your thinking? Was it, well, um, I guess we just need to take this? Or uh, did you have any concerns back then? Or has that just come later as you look back? At the time, I, the only thing I can put to where my head was at was through losing my mum just months earlier. Um, not knowing the full story. When you are fed a load of lies, and the only thing that then paints a, a better picture is a medical report, which they battled me from actually having for a year or two. And so only when I finally received that did I know the full picture of the horrors that my wonder went. Now, when you are working 10 to 12 hours a day, because we had to work increased hours because everybody needed toilet rolls. I mean, the amount we were selling was 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 phenomenal. Um, and the deliveries that I had to deal with, because that's what I did with from five in the morning. Um, so by the time I got home in the evening, I was exhausted. I spent the evening trying to relax with something to eat and watching fear campaigns yep. being pushed at you. And so at some point or other, no matter what your belief was beforehand, at some point, if your government, your MP representative, your health minister is all telling you the same story, that this is serious and you need to believe it, at some point, reality switches off. And you think, well, oh, okay, it is serious then. Because I've got to tell you, early 2020, when I saw it all starting, we were having to put stickers on the floors and deal with this because I was um, fire health safety training officer. So I had to deal with um, risk protocols, uh, risk assessments, and the, the way things would impact the customer. So I was a part of having to put these stickers out and I questioned at every point and thinking, well, it, it doesn't really make sense. And you're having to wear a mask, although we didn't if we went onto the, onto the floor with customers and you were meant to. But backstage, don't worry about it. It's just like, well, it just didn't gel. But going into the craziness of 2022, um, it never went away. It was just always looking for the next way we could fear thing, uh, drive it up, make it seem even more inflated. Um, if I don't see, this is the crazy thing. I mean, Twitter. I'd never really used much of any other social media platform. Um, you saw a very different view because they were clamping down the media, which I didn't realize that time. Um, the only time I realized was when I connected with Twitter lying in my hospital bed in March 
2021. 11 days. I I had very little connection with the outside world because you know people couldn't see you, people couldn't come in. I had somebody I knew in there who would actually go out and get me a paper so I could actually connect with something. Um, and it was quite um, a revelation just connecting with Twitter and seeing, well, some of the obvious lies being shown before me. And I'm thinking it's a real head spin because you start to think, well, hang on a minute. What have I done to myself? What have I taken? What's led me to this point? Um, and I was seeing so many other people, uh, obviously, that had vaccine, vaccine injuries as well being brought in. And there was somebody who'd actually had full body paralysis. I had lower motor function. That was one of my um, symptoms because the pressure on my brain is so intense, you cannot feel your limbs. You're all just loose and floppy, and you've just got no control. So the person who was, had just been released, um, discharged, had that, but to such a high degree, they had no function at all. Um, they've been there for a few weeks. So once they pump your body full of steroids and anti-inflammatories, you then start to function a little bit more normally. But what becomes apparent is to not just myself, it's just pretty much anyone else who's been vaccinated injured. You're left with so many different symptoms, right from neurological that affect you daily. Um, the arrhythmia from this poison that's attacking your heart constantly um if you didn't die it's a it's a bloody miracle yeah. um the fact that i'm here today i think i'm lucky you know um i've i've grown to meet no no end of people through whether it's mark stein's show in 2022 um being invited on there with numerous others who've been injured they've lost loved ones within days um, and then you start to see the big picture. You start to see how many people have really been affected by this. Because you know, the, from the first person who died in January 2021, the Dr. Stephen, um, what was her name? Charlotte was his, his wife at the time. Um, that's the horrible thing. Just big obvious concerns, these red flags that the MHRA say that they always continually monitor is proof that they lie yeah. and they continue to lie. Well, can I ask you, when you went in, you had a reaction just after you took it. So two, one, did you immediately connect it? And two, what were the conversations like in the hospital? Because you had a range of of symptoms and um, the doctors are, are trying to treat people. Uh, that's the, that's what they've committed their life to. Yeah. Um, they, 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 most doctors are, are not at fault and they simply see these things happening. So yeah, did you connect and then what were your conversations with the medical staff in the hospital? Well, right before, before I actually ended up in the hospital, um, my doctor had decided one last time to actually see me. Um, I battled them over a period of a couple of weeks, losing the reality of how serious I was. Um, 
and then getting through one final time and say, well, okay, you don't sound very clear. We can't understand you. You know, you, you're not making much sense. And at that point, I didn't realize what the effect this was having on me. I could barely walk. I could barely function. But somehow I got to my doctor's surgery and um, suddenly staggering down the corridors and slurring and they're like, right, we'll get you an ambulance within moments. Mm. Um, they were going to tell me, well, they were, they were telling me that I should pretend that my condition was far worse than it was. Just, they didn't really know anything at that time. This is, this is the, the, the bizarre point. They didn't know what was going on, but they also wanted me to say that things were more serious than worse, so I'd be seen quicker. Then they took my blood pressure, and it was 203 over 120. And they thought, ah, but don't worry about that now. That's serious enough. Um, the doctor said to me, um, at that point, we're going to report your case to the yellow card system. I thought, okay, I don't know what it is, but okay. Because um, he was quite adamant at that point that it was connected to the vaccine. Okay. On admission to the hospital in the department, I was in there for a day or two. Um, and then I was moved into a almost like an investigatory department, they call it the Clifford Suite. Um, and I was in there for days, and it's where cases go. But they really don't know what's happened to a person's condition. But right from the word go, it was, yes, it definitely linked to the vaccine. Um, however, from me being discharged late March, I got the impression through talking to my GP that something had changed. He was all of a sudden now very uncomfortable about talking about the vaccines in a negative aspect. And so I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to report myself. And I did. And I had some quite um, I wouldn't say lengthy, but we had a bit of a conversation going over updates and things over the past couple of years, uh, just to keep them updated, because I just didn't trust that what doctors were telling me anymore. Um, tell us what, so you're released after, what, 11 days, mm. um, and what happens then? You, you go home, uh, you're in a wheelchair, you've got many symptoms. Uh, what, what was that like? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I wasn't given a wheelchair. I wasn't given a walking stick or anything. I was still struggling to walk. I was I was put in a wheelchair to get me to the door. And they said, well, you can just transfer yourself to a seat near the door um, and we'll leave you here. And I got picked up by a good friend. So I had to buy my own walking stick. Um, and life from that point was a constant battle to be seen, to be heard. And just be listened to, because all of a sudden my doctor was saying, um, well, maybe it was something else. How to me? Well, maybe it was something else that's caused all this. And I said, well, hang on a minute. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you were saying quite full on, it's definitely the vaccine, we'll get it yeah. reported, um, we're taking you seriously. And now all of a sudden you're, you're talking stupid things. He was trying to get me into these programs for... Um, called a 40 was it 48 hour urine test to actually see what was done on the body and i did several of them several of them as they kept losing the, the records now you know the, the gallon tubs you have to fill this out i mean it's ridiculous when you do it 
But if you do it two or three times, because the departments are so inept, mm. you keep losing everything. How can you lose something that size? Like, oh no, where's it gone? Wow. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I, I've made lots of notes. This is why I can look back on certain things because yeah. I don't remember everything so clearly. But having conversation, it's proven such a trigger over the last couple of years. Um, I've found out, remembered some horrible, horrible, horrifying things that happened in there. Um, such abuses of care to people. Um, it's criminal. But the last few years, I mean, it's three years this month, Mm. Um, 22nd of February and it's it's a horrible anniversary I mean it's yeah. it's the day that everything changed for me it's not a pity party for me but it's the day that I lost pretty much everything I mean I was I was working um, five days a week at least um, but then I'd spend a couple of hours in gym I was very sporty used to do a lot of running um, so you could then enjoy the nice things of life, whether mm. it be a cup of coffee and a nice meal. Um, but these bastards knew what they were doing. Yeah. We know this because all this evidence is coming out, all this data, all this shocking lies that were hidden from everyone. So basically, they could further it. Now, even your doctor hiding that away from other people, so you could then vaccinate other people. Well, why don't you do that? What it because the line, of course, that we are fed is, and the, I saw the Daily Mail came out yesterday. I think with more data, massive increases in vaccine harms, uh, but. It's only a small amount of people. I mean, I think they were talking about six times yeah, for some of. Yeah, it's rare. Six times increase. That sounds bloody big. But um, the line is: this is very rare. When that you're just one of the very few. You've been unlucky, but actually, there are very few other people like you. Um, how have you? Tried and been able to combat that which uh, we now see as a lie. It's been bloody hard, um, I won't lie. I mean, collective of people on Twitter has kind of kept me going very early on. Mm. April, May, um, a couple of people reached out to me, and I don't know their real names because most people are hidden behind pseudonyms and all sorts. Okay. Um, but there's a couple of people that really kept me going um, right from the early days. I think somebody I connected with, I think her name's Joanne, and then I think shortly after she put me in touch with Ed the Techie, um, which you would most people know for being such a, um, a very witty guy, but very cynic, very sharp, and also using um, media uh, images as well. But um, connected with those people, that's what kind of gives you that strength to just to carry on, because basically you nearly died. Um, you have to then claw your way back, because you're not getting any help from anyone. I battled government departments for the last few years and I've found them in so many lies I've been bribed to basically shut up about it. Um, 
you know, they, they just, well, have some money and this will keep you quiet. Well, no, I'm not happy. And so you keep on. And that's I'm, happened numerous times. Well, I'll pick some of that, but then the, the, the truth be told, uh, event and Fiona's done a, a great job in in many of those. But putting mm-hmm. together those voices, having them together, I think the one um, one of the ones I was at, Matt Latis was speaking at, another one, Andrew Bridger was speaking at, and different people. Tell us about that because you're fighting for yourself, for your ability to survive and to recuperate, um, but also financially. Uh, there seems to be little help, uh, but the other side, you're also trying to to get the message out to make the the public aware. So it's you personally trying to survive yourself, but also trying to put this story out. And tell us about kind of events like that because that brings together a collection of voices and shows you're not alone. Oh, cranky! I mean, I was aware that there was this huge movement happening on social media. Um, but I, for the most of it, I couldn't be a part of it because I just didn't feel well enough. Mm. And then at some point in 21, I decided, no, I, I need to be there. And there was a worldwide rally for freedom, which Fiona was a part of. Um, and although that was more of a static meeting in Trafalgar Square, it was the biggest group of people that I'd actually witnessed yeah. all kind of, speaking from the same page, all kind of understanding that there was something morally corrupt with the government and the message it was pushing on its people. And so it brings people together, but you get such a strength from that. Um, I think that was the week after the massive uh, march around London. It was like several million people. Um, And that was such a display of dissent, you know, they call it. But it was such a, a, a great thing to seem to be a part of. I, I would have thought, um, I would have hoped to have been there, but um, I certainly couldn't have marched that long. I've marched um, for a period of time, I will say, um, not getting myself into any sort of trouble. <laughs> um, but it takes a lot out of you. I mean, I was a part of another one of Fiona's marches in 22. Um, but all just as, as a, a, another person taking part, and I was very near the back. And Mark Stein's producer just happened to be in London at the time. She didn't want to be a part of it. And filmed a little bit for the show, a little segment. And I thought that was great because it got it onto a other platform at the time. I don't think any other media, even the independent medias, were covering it. They just didn't want to take the risk of challenging the narrative i didn't understand where that was coming from um criminal when you think that you have the chance to do something and this is where it makes me bloody angry now because you'll get a few people stepping forward now saying oh well, isn't that horrible what the vaccine injured are going through the people have been left bereaved we need to do something to hold an inquiry about it it's like me three years too late i know i mean I know. No, no, the most the most pointless and all that inquiry does is line the pockets of legal teams. Uh, that's purely jobs for the boys. That's purely what that is for. Um, I will come back to one or two of those, but I, I want to go on and talk. You mentioned at the beginning your mum and what had happened to her. Um, and this whole thing of 
Medazlin, this whole thing of how the elderly were treated. Um, and none of us had ever heard of Medazlin before. And I know that Abby does her Medazlin Matt songs often. And you begin to get this. And um, I don't even know if it's a product which is available across the world or just European. But do you want to just let us know what the story of your mom was? What happened to her? And then also we'll touch on your fight to actually get the information. Yeah, I mean, just very briefly, the midazolam um, is a product, obviously, used worldwide. But for some reason, Americans tended to prefer remdesivir um, through cost savings or whatever. I do not know, but they seemed to find it had great successful, a great success in killing the elderly, which they thought was a good thing. And so we then adopted it here when we incredibly ran out of midazolam early 2020. And so we then bought into uh, suppliers of remdesivir to keep the job going because we had to kill people at any cost. I mean, but yeah. Um, so tell us why that, because midazolam murder, that's two words that have come together. Mm. Um Others will say, what, when you're just putting stuff together, come on, come on, take your tinfoil hat off. Yeah. Uh, but you've, you you were there, you mm. watched your mom go through. So um, tell us how you connect uh, the drug to actually killing people. It's something that I wouldn't have even um, approached a few years before all of this, because I was probably somebody who was, Although intelligent, I thought I still stupidly believed what my the government told me, my TV told me. So you just sink into it. But when you're actually faced with it personally in front of you, you actually see something different. And now, although I never knew all the all of the facts at the time of my mum's treatment and being in hospital over a period of few months, but this last visit that she was in hospital was seven weeks right in the thick of the lockdown madness. Um, I'd seen some of the hysteria on previous visits when we were allowed to visit, and it was just all starting to creep in. Um, but at this point, that when mum was admitted, you couldn't visit, you couldn't do anything. And so it was all by phone, it was all those conversations that you have with people. What was your mum admitted with? Why was she brought into hospital? So she was finally um, admitted and diagnosed with early onset, which we knew from a very bad memory for a couple of years, was rapidly taking hold. The healthcare system was virtually non-existent. There was no help. And so you were then left to turn to, by design it seems, your hospital. Because if you have no carers or people to come out, you're then forced to put them into hospital yeah. where they could actually have full access to them without anybody to look after them um, and see what was happening, their treatments. And so when it was rife in hospital and they moved her to a care home for a week, I then first got my chance to actually see mum in the flesh for a pair of four or five weeks. And I could see over the months there was treatment care plans in place, but they chose to, chose to ignore them. By putting a DNR on your elderly relative, they can refuse them water in basic nourishment. 
And so what happens to that patient is that they don't decline. They get weaker. Obviously, it's going to happen. If somebody starves, you're going to get weaker. Um, what I then didn't realize, so when that happens, they can then put things in place like end-of-life care because they're looking after the patient, looking after the care of the patient. This is what they can take, take to you. You don't have a say in that. If you try to argue with them on it, um, they come back with, well, we look after the patient's interest, not you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they start all this, this process off, um, mum was in the care home. Um, after a week, she was rushed back to hospital again, suffering. I think she had a minor infection, um, personal infection that a lot of elderly get because they don't wash themselves. Um, and that's all I think it was because they say she tested with COVID. But we know from the scan that was the testing procedure. Um, I spoke to mum by WhatsApp several times. She sounded fine. She didn't sound breathless or, in, or struggling. Um, the only thing criminal there is the way that they enacted on that to actually drive that end-of-life protocol on her. I spoke to her the day before uh, they started all this process. The, back, the WhatsApp video is posted to my timeline. Um, it's hard when you look back because that was the last moment that I had. Um, to think 24 hours later, they deemed my mum in so much pain, discomfort, that the only thing left open to her is to put her on an inspirator and let's give your mum and life care, which consisted of midazolam and morphine. I didn't know that was happening. So you weren't involved in that? There was no conversation? There was no conversation, but I also didn't know it was happening at that time. See, all that I was told when I phoned them on the Monday for an update, um, oh, yeah, your mum's struggling to breathe, um, so put an, on, on an oxygen on her, um, and that's it. So you're not actually aware to, or able to see them. If you actually question things and why she's not conscious or anything else, um, but because you weren't allowed to visit, you didn't know. Well, all of a sudden on the Monday when I spoke to them, I said, oh, you can come and visit. Pardon? For six weeks, you're not allowed to, but now all of a sudden, you're not allowed to visit. So I've got a gown and I've got a mask and I've got gloves on. So for six weeks, you couldn't visit your mum? Not at all. Now all of a sudden, you can, but they're still not telling you the full facts. So mum's got an Austin mask on it. She can't talk. I don't know why she got so I just I wasn't told that. Um, harrowing week of visiting, not getting answers. I was getting even less answers than I would if I phoned them. Um, seeing my father broken, seeing his wife lying there, dying, because basically she was dying. I didn't know. I'd been invited to watch my mum die. But you don't really not fully aware of that at the time. So as the days go on, you're thinking what's what's happening, what's you're totally lost. You're hoping that somebody's gonna get better. Because that's what happens. You go to the hospital, you get better, don't you? Um on the very last day, um mum's arm was lying out of the bed for for whatever reason. 
And I saw this morphine driver attached to her wrist. And I said, well, what is this? What's happening? Mum's getting better, right? Um, well, she said, no. And at that point, I got two care workers to come in. And they basically tried to say that mum wasn't getting better. Um, she's only hanging on because you won't let her go. You have to, you have to actually say that you're ready to let your mum go before she can pass over. And I'm, I'm mystified. I'm just thinking, what the hell? You can leave somebody hanging on with that pretense that somebody's going to improve. And then these two colleagues give the nod to each other. And one then turns up the morphine driver. Now, all this is kind of stored in my mind because they're all inconsistencies. They're all things that I can't put an answer to. Nobody's really telling me a lot, but they're all kind of things, well, hang on, that's a red flag. Something's not quite right here. But I, I couldn't process it. Um, fortunately, within a very short space of time, I spoke to the nurse because um, she was shocked that I hadn't been a made aware of anything happening although she was the one who was supposedly the one to tell me something um i managed to get somebody to give my mum last rites um because she was religious uh, growing up um so at least she got some modicum of connection I, I don't know i think you, you need to be a regular service goer to actually find what other people find strange about it um mm. so hopefully she got some something out of that i think maybe um because within hours she, she, she was gone well i think i mean i think I, as a christian i think that would looking ahead that would give you some sense of peace um that and I think that's to me that's that that's the word that I would use for probably what your mom was mm. given trying to put myself in the situation as a Christian at the end of your life that yeah um you believe you're going somewhere better to heaven and therefore it is that peace mm. yeah I mean it's something that she used to be a part of um because she was from a large family um and they were in a, a they're in a, uh, an orphanage because basically their father had died and the new man in the woman's life decided that, I think it was 16 kids, something like that, was too much for him. And so they all got pushed off to a nurse's home, which was somewhere that was so disgusting and horrible that they were beaten and brutalised regularly. I mean, it's one of these infamous homes um, that mistreated kids and pregnant mothers so badly. Um, uh, the place was, was called Smilem uh, in the upper reaches of Glasgow somewhere. Um, so I think that was probably a small connection back to her childhood that she had some sort of peace um, and acceptance maybe at that young age, something she kept with her, although she never actually went to church again. She just obviously kept this inner um, spiritual feeling. Um, yeah. Um, so that whole Midazolam thing, I 
I became aware of things happening to other people after that time, but I didn't really know anymore until I got one's medical records. Well, sure. So tell us about, because you've also tried to get these, and then I think, what did you put up, 480 pages or something? And that's happened really? more recently. It's at least 480 pages. I mean, And, and when did you get those? One. So through talking to people who'd also lost their loved ones in similar circumstances, that became apparent over the, the next year or two. Um, I made tentative inquiries about getting them myself um, because not doing it before, you don't really know the ins and outs. Um, and the weird thing is, even though you're family, they still won't give them to you. They go to the next, to the spouse, to the, the wife, the husband, but then go to the children. For what reason, I do not know. So you then have to go down the routes of getting your solicitor involved. But I was actually quite sharp by it. I actually decided, no, why should I spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds of money that I don't have? I mean, because basically I had to officially stop working in January 2022. I'd spent from my injury up until... November, December 2021, of not working, struggling to get some modicum of resemblance back to my life because I haven't been able to go to the gym, I haven't been able to enjoy walking, anything physical, let alone anything that meant I could talk to people in conversation unlike self. I mean, I struggled for five months until I had ivermectin. Mm. That created such a mental change to the fogginess of my brain so I could actually start to connect again. Um, which then kept me investigating mums further. Um, and I probably got onto it a lot more deeper and a lot more seriously. Um, so it took them a year to actually finally give me the records. Um, just a casual glance and you're basically left with such a... It's almost like they've hidden everything. Everything that you need to know is in there, but you've got to find it. And so I had nothing else to do with my time. So I just went through it a bit by bit over the weeks and weeks. Um, apart from the midazolam, uh, morphine, and other things that hurry people on their way, um, it was given at the time that they said there were obviously putting them on oxygen, but they didn't actually tell me anything else was going on. Although when you actually read the records, their conversations supposedly were to me that, yes, we've made the family aware of the situation, they understand end-of-life care is being administered. But then you start to realise it was all a lie. Mm. They never had this conversation with me. If they had done, I would have been bloody angry that you can make this, such a decision without me. Um, things that were happening there as well, people falling out of bed. My mom fell out of bed one night because somebody had forgot to put a rail up. She's a fragile, uh, at risk of falls. They've got it on a board above her bed, so they know quite clearly the procedure they should be taking. Um, the nurse writes, oh, we heard a bang. Found patient lying on floor on ward. Didn't tell me. I didn't even know that occurred. Yeah. 
So things like this, um, patient no longer wants to visit their mum. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. Things that they never even said, never even actually discussed, but they can just actually make up a report that puts them in a good light, just so it covers their own back. It's disgusting. So what's uh, just um, the the time scale? So your your mum died June 2020. Um, yeah, 8th of June. Okay, 8th of June 2020. And then when did you get access to the full medical records? Uh, January 22. Okay. No, no, January 23 last year. January 23 last year. It was, it, was start, it was January when I was finally able to use my brain again for a lot of things. Um, and I kind of decided that I needed to do something. And obviously it took me a year to get hold of them. And I guess I'm assuming, uh, it's bad to assume, but that many others are in the same situation, what we have seen about Medaslin, oh, there are many, um, many others who do not know the true story of their loved ones. It's it's a common occurrence that you get contacted on social media. Oh, yeah, my mum, my brother, my father all have the same sort of thing, or we suspect it, but we don't know. And so the next conversation you have is, well, you can apply for their medical records. I don't know the time limit because... Maybe they don't keep records after a certain date. I don't know. But it's worth inquiring just for peace of mind. Because um, I'm pretty sure my man would have had something similar. Um, just going back many years through a catalogue of harms um, and neglect. She even said it herself. She said, she said to my father, um, I don't think I'm getting out of it. Now, if somebody says that to you, that's frightening. Because um, what you want to hope is that people are going to improve. We're going to make such a, an, a drastic change in their health situation that they're going to be back to their usual self. But um, sadly not. We are shocked daily by things we read, we see. Um, I didn't see that coming. Um, but it's a common occurrence. I mean, I've been part of um, Jackie DeVoy's um, Venezuela murders group for quite a while. We got invited down to Westminster um, for Andrew Bridgen's meeting on families who had lost loved ones. Yeah. Um, I think there was about 50 or so families there on the, de- on the night. And that was probably the first time that I've seen so many all together. You have conversations with people all the time. But to have that shared grief is all I can actually liken back to when I was on Mark's show in 22. Mm -hmm. Um, Those faced by loss, heart-wrenching loss, there's many people break down on the night talking about their lost loved one. Um, And the horror they've gone through, that's the shared thing because – some of us have video recordings, some of us have audio recordings. Some took the time to take as many details as they could. I'm fortunate that I got that video um, saved from the day before. Um, I wasn't fully aware, as, as some were, of the horrors being committed 
the murders. I mean, it's a literal murder of your family member. Um, hospitals should be looking after them. This is the place where they're going to get better. They've failed them on every count. They've got an oath to do no harm. Um, but they're allowed through this ridiculous point system, this frailty score, that they can basically engineer by not giving your loved one food and nourishment. So it weakens them deliberately. They can then say, well, okay, they're now at point or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you're eligible for end of life care. I mean, how was that care? Um, when I really do appreciate you coming on, I think it's a, a story that needs to be told. I think um, it's so important for, those who have suffered as you've suffered to come together in those groups are are so important and uh it's a difficult story for you to tell because it's not just you personally but it's your loved ones your mom um mm. and as you have seen the truth so i really do appreciate you coming along today and sharing your story and what happened to your mom thank you Peter. yeah thanks for having me on if you like what we do sign up to our mailing list Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.